0: Well, let's start in Psalm 103, verse 1. It says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Forget not all His benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercy, who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. We read this every single week, and the reason we read it every single week is that I'm hoping at some point we'll start believing it. I'm hoping at some point that we will walk around as if we truly, truly believe what the Word of God says. And I'm not saying that you guys will walk around with your head down, but the thing is is that we live in a society today, Paul was just telling me a story this morning about this, where we just simply just... Reject what the word said. We would rather hold on to what our preconceived notions are, what maybe we were taught growing up, maybe what some denomination has told us, than what the word says. And when David Rice said, don't forget his benefits, he probably meant, and I'm just stepping out on a limb here, he probably meant, don't forget about his benefits. (laughs) Call me crazy. Some of you do, but... He says that the benefit of the Lord is that He forgives our iniquities and He heals our diseases. That our lives are redeemed. Those mean something. You see, the problem we have today is that we are so centered on us and not God that we've lost sight of the character of who God is. Even our worship songs today, a lot of them, if you look at what the subject is, it's you. It's like we're worshiping ourselves. Why are we doing that? Well, because we obviously have it all together, don't we? I mean, listen—you know that's not true. I can tell by looking at some of you. And we just—we seem to think we've got this idea. Is like God? I'm so glad that you've set us free from sin that we don't have to spend eternity in hell, but we get to be with you. But that's all I want from you. I want nothing. And David says, "Don't forget these other benefits." What do you do with it? And he says that he heals all your diseases we say, well, sometimes He heals all your diseases, or sometimes He heals some of your diseases, or sometimes He doesn't heal any of your diseases, and you just have to walk around sick, and you just have to walk around defeated, and you just have to walk around tired all the time, and you just got to walk around and just be like that, because you know what, that's just God's will. Because we've rejected the word of God. We would never admit it. Those are words that we would never use. But the truth of the matter is, is that when we hold this thing up and when we read it, we read it with lenses on saying, okay, God, I know that's what you said, but let me tell you what you meant. Because we refuse to just say, okay, God, what did you say and how do I apply it to my life? And that's where we're at. And as you've seen, as we've we've built upon this idea of, where did god go what happened to this all-powerful all-knowing being that we we claim to worship you can see that there's so much hindrance in our way that keeps us from acknowledging god for who he truly is i saw this meme this week i love memes i just want you to know that i if you are friends with me on facebook I don't want to sound arrogant, but my meme game is on point. I just want you to know that, because they're just, they're so funny. But you guys remember the old Scooby-Doo? And at the end of it, like, well, let's just take this mask off and see who was really behind it. And I saw this meme, and this is perfect, okay? I should I have put it up. I didn't think about that. Doggone it. You should follow me on Facebook. That's where you see this stuff. But it's, it's, it's got, uh, uh, who's not Shaggy, the, the main guy, Fred. Fred, the blonde-haired, good-looking guy, right? Should have named him Chris if they were thinking straight, but anyway. And, and he says, well, let's just remove this mask and see who's causing all the problems of my, in my life. And he pulls the mask off, and it's Fred. We want to blame the devil for everything. We want to blame our circumstances, but the truth is, is the only sta- thing standing between you and the promises of God is you. That's it. It's not the enemy. You know why? Because he can't. He goes around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Which means he has no authority except the one that you give him. You are your biggest enemy. You are your biggest problem. Because we don't accept this word as truth. We want to go and cherry pick it. We want to go and just say, well, you know, but they They didn't teach me that. And, and, And are you sure that's what it says? I mean, I get asked these questions all the time. And it's like, well, read it for yourself. You tell me if I'm wrong. You know, I have, I have arguments with people, I know this just hard to believe, but I have people that I'm very close to that uh, around the country that are in ministry in different aspects that hold to different beliefs. And when we have these discussions, many, many times, I always say, okay, but what does the Bible say? And they always say, well, yeah, but it says uh, my denomination believes this. And I'm like, well, that's great. I don't care. What I care about is what does the word say? That doesn't mean I'm right on everything. That doesn't mean my understanding of Scripture is right on everything. It just simply means if we're going to look for an explanation, let's start there and not what a denomination says, not what a parent had said, not what a pastor had said. Did you know this? Bear with me. Pastors can be wrong. Now, I know you all have never experienced that, but it happens in other places. So you should just give some grace there. But what are we talking about? We're talking about the power of, power of God. Here's the thing. Here's what I know. God never changed. He was powerful when he created everything. He was powerful when he brought Israel out of Egypt. He was powerful when they crossed the Red Sea. He was powerful when he brought them into the promised land. He was powerful to help them defeat the enemies that were harboring themselves in the promised land. He was still powerful when they were in Babylon in captivity. He was powerful when they came out of captivity. He was powerful when Jesus showed up on the seat. He was powerful when Jesus died on the cross. He was powerful when Jesus was raised from the dead. He was powerful when Jesus went up into heaven he was powerful when the Holy Spirit came down upon the people putting that power in them and guess what the power never stopped it never stopped but yet we, we just act as if it did because part of it is, is we don't understand scripture and we don't understand the word and truthfully we don't want to you know, we talk about mental health and all of this is a big buzzword right now. Do you realize that depression has become like a badge of honor? We wear it's like, oh, I have anxiety, oh, I'm depressed and all of that. There are legitimate cases, don't get me wrong. But you know, from a believer's standpoint, that if we simply accepted who we are according to Christ, we have nothing to be depressed about. Have you ever noticed that we live in what would be argued the greatest country in the world? We have nothing to worry about. You're not waking up in the morning thinking, boy, I sure hope the water works. You've never went to flush your toilet hoping that it was functioning, right? Because we have confidence in it. We've never wake up thinking, I don't know where my next meal is going to come from. Because we live in a country that has freedom and freedom affords for those great kind of things. And yet, we're sad. We're depressed. We have anxiety like there's no tomorrow. You go into some of these third world countries where they literally don't know where their next meal's coming from. They don't deal with these issues. Why is that? Because we are exactly what Moses warned the nation of Israel not to become. And when you go into the promised land, remember, you didn't plant those fields. You didn't plant those vineyards. You didn't build those houses. You didn't dig those wells. Never forget to glorify God who brought you into this place. And with that, we should never forget to to glorify the God of this scripture who's given us benefits. So in looking at this and part of this, we began to study and look primarily at the idea of communion. Because what about it? Is it a religious ceremony or is there something more to it? Last week as we got into this, we've been really focused on the bread. The reason we've been focused on the bread is because we always have focused on the blood. Right? The wine. In our case, the grape juice. We're focused on the blood because what did the blood of Jesus do? It removed the sin from us. But the question comes down is, what did the body of Jesus do? And I'm going to show you today that there were three parts that were set free by the works of Jesus. I'm going to show you that in Scripture. But we're going to also begin to just unpack this a little bit more. Because it comes down to, what do we do for communion? Well, most churches do it once a month, once a quarter, or once a year. Is that what Jesus intended? Was not the communion, as we call it, and I'll show you why we call it that here momentarily, Was not the communion that he partook of where he says, do this in remembrance of me. Part of the Seder meal, which is during the time of Passover. Thus, shouldn't we simply do it annually? I mean, if we're going to put it in context, that's what was happening. Did he intend for it to be more? You see, it always comes back to this idea of the bread, and we've got to look at this from what Scripture says. And so, as we've done this, we realize that when Jesus said that I am the bread of life, we're talking about to Exodus chapter 16. So, let's look at this in John 6 today. Now, we've read this before, but I want to unpack this a little bit more as we go forward. In John chapter 6, we're going to start in verse 22. On the following day, when the people were standing on the other side of the sea, saw that there was no other boat there except the one which his disciples had entered. And Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but his disciples had had gone away alone. However, other boats from Tiberias near the place where they ate bread after the Lord had given thanks. So what's it talking about? The context here is the feeding of the 5,000. This is what had just taken place, right? Five loaves, two fishes. When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they also got into boats and came to Capernaum, seeking Jesus. And when they had found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do you realize what a bold statement this was? What signs is Jesus referencing? Because they're seeking after him, not because of the signs but because they ate of the bread. That's what Jesus said, right? Is that? Yes. I'm not, I'm not making this up. What signs are we talking about? Well, we know because we've looked at this that there was four messianic miracles and there was also multiple miracles that Jesus did in, in, in a continuation of that. But that's not why they're seeking him. They're seeking him because of the bread. Verse 27, do not labor for food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set His seal on Him. Then they said to Him, well, what shall we do? That we may work the works of God. And Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God. Ready for this? That you believe in Him whom He sent. So do we believe in a works-based righteousness? Yeah. The work of God is that we believe in Him. That's our work. Okay? We don't do anything else. Why did they ask that question? Because what did they have to do? They had to bring sacrifices. They had to wash. They had to keep the Sabbath. They had a whole list of things that they had to do. And they're asking Jesus, what do we have to do? That we can do the works of God. We want to do them as well. well. Here's what you do you believe in me. Therefore, they said to him, okay, well, what sign will you perform then that we may see it and believe you? What work will you do? Our fathers ate the manna in the desert, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. So what they're saying here is this was a sign to them, right? That this bread brought nourishment. It was the bread of life. We saw that in other places. Jesus said, most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And as I showed you guys a few weeks ago, as we looked at this, Jesus is comparing himself to the manna. This was given from God. It was a supernatural thing that was brought down every single day. Exception was on the Sabbath. Verse 34, then he said to them, Lord, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. He who believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And the, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. For I have come down from heaven. Not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me. That of all he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up that last day. Okay, what are we talking about now? Now he's getting into a future time of the resurrection of the dead so he is the bread that has come down from heaven he is the one that will give life you can eat bread but guess what it won't satisfy but i am the one that gives you life i am that water and this is the will of him who sent me that everyone who sees the son and believes in him may have everlasting life and i will raise him up that last day The Jews then complained about him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And they said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he says, I have come down from heaven? That's a fair question because what are they looking at? They're looking at the physical Jesus. Born in Bethlehem, they they don't really necessarily know that. What they do know is he's a Nazarene. And there ain't nothing good that's come from Nazareth. And so they're looking at him and saying, well, wait a, minute, wait a minute, this is the son of Joseph. What was Joseph? A carpenter. That yeah, was nothing. Remember, carpenter is not just woodworking. It was, it was using his hands. So looking at Jesus and saying, well, wait a minute, how can, you, how can you say this? They're comparing it to him. It's kind of like, you guys know my sister. She's saying here before. She's adopted, right? And she gets up on stage and she's got this beautiful voice. And people's like, how is that your sister? And then I say, well, she's adopted. And they're like, oh, it makes sense now. Verse 43, Jesus therefore answered and said to them, Do not murmur among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up in that last day, as it is written in the prophets, and they shall be taught by God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. This is going back to Ezekiel. This is going back to Jeremiah. This is going back to the introduction of the new covenant. You don't learn anything else if you understand covenant theology and what that new covenant is, it will set you free. You won't be depressed. You won't have anxiety. You'll have nothing to be sad about if you realize who you are in Christ. Verse 46, not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God, he who has seen the Father, most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life, because I am the bread of life, and your fathers ate of the man in the wilderness, and they're dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven, that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever, and the bread that I shall give him is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. The Jews therefore quarreled among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? You do not realize what a big no-no that is. Because you do not do that. Culturally speaking, you don't do that. In this culture, you don't need to do that, right? I have never sat around in a conversation, Listen guys, if things get rough, I go first. Go ahead, snack on me. Now I believe that I could sustain life for many months, but... I mean, think about this. And they're asking, like, whoa, 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 how is he giving it? Because they're not getting it. They are not making the connection of the manna and the flesh that came down from heaven and how that was the sustainer of life. And Jesus said, most assuredly, I say to you, here we go, he's going to double down. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. he taught and said in the synagogue in Capernaum so in other words he showed up to church and he got up and said hey y'all eat this can you imagine now we know what he's talking about because we have the privilege of hindsight but this is a foreign concept to them because in their opinion the manna was given by God and it was food but what did they want not manna they wanted everything else and so Jesus is saying listen that bread that was supernatural that came down that is me it is my body you have to eat of my flesh and you have to drink of my blood and he's gonna later prove that doing what in the time of the passover when the passover comes he is going to say this is my body which is broken for you this is my blood which is poured out for you as often as you do this do this in remembrance of me so we're getting into first corinthians chapter 11 now we have to understand that 1 Corinthians is talking about to the, the church of Corinth, and they are screwed up. They are an immature church. In 1 Corinthians 3, it talks about how they should be more mature, but you're not. So I have to give you these, these, these elementary things. But then Paul goes on, and he says, Now listen, I want you to understand this. In verse 17, Now in giving these instructions, I don't praise you, since you come together not for the better, but for the worse. First of all, when you come together as a church. There's a two-fold statement in this. Number one, that the church... It's not where you come together at, right? It's all of us. Born-again believers are a part of the church. And when we come together as a church, there are some instructions that should be followed here. All right? I hear that there are divisions among you, and in part, I believe it. For there must also be factions among you that those who are approved may be recognized among you. Therefore, when you come together in one place, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, each one takes his own supper ahead of others, and one is hungry and another is drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in, or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I do not praise you. Now, we have this idea of the Lord's Supper, and he's getting on to them because they are coming looking for food. They're looking for a meal. They're looking for something to eat. And he said, you're missing the entire point. Now, some will argue if you ask a a Jewish person that does not necessarily think that the way that we do, what, what this would be talking about is this has got to be at the time of the Passover because that would be when they would come together. There's a problem with that. Now, I want you to think about this. The festival dealing with the Passover was not celebrated together. It was always a family unit. It was done in the homes. When they gathered together as a church, number one. Number two, the church in Corinth was primarily Gentile. It was not Jewish. And Paul in no way has ever instituted the idea that the Jews had to keep the Seder meal and the Passover. Because it was given to the nation of Israel. Because who did the Lord pass over? It was the nation of Israel. It was done in remembrance of that event. Never forget what God has done for you. When He took you by the hand and brought you out of the nation of Egypt. So that can't be what's going on. So there has to be something else here. Let's go to verse 23. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take eat. this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now, I showed you last week the idea of the matzah During the Seder meal, they would have this here, and inside of it are three individual pouches, And the middle piece was what they always brought out. And the middle piece that they would drag out, they would break it in half, and they would put that half in what was called the afikomen. Or they would wrap it. Now we have fancy ones, but a lot of times they just wrap it in a cloth, and then it would go and be hidden. And at some point during the meal, the children would go and look for it. And the one who found it got to bring it back and redeem it for a prize. So you can see the symbolism that's going on here. You've got the Trinity in the uh, the Monsatosh, and you're pulling out the middle one. For the first time in history, the Trinity was separated. But it's going to be brought back together. Then Jesus, after this is when the, the Afikoman would be brought out, He would pull this out and He'd say, This is my body, which is broken for you. So now we've got two parts going on here. We've got previously what we read in John 6, that He is the bread of life, and that you have to eat of His flesh. But we always focus on the blood. So here you've got the body that was broken for you. So we've got two parts. There is no way that we can deny that there is two distinctions that are going on here. The body and the blood. We know what the blood did. We've heard it our entire lives. You are song after song after song about the blood of Jesus. I would love it if somebody wrote a song out of John 6. I don't know what tune you'd put to it, but about eating his flesh. and Well, that'd be interesting, wouldn't it? that would be one of those things where you have guests come in and you'd be like, you know, maybe we need to change the set. I don't know. But the thing is, is he's making a distinction. This is my body which is broken for you. The afikoman, that which was gone, has now been brought back. It is now broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he took the cup after supper. Again, so we know what this is. The cup after supper, the cup of redemption, the third cup, and the Passover meal. This is the cup. Is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. That last line there is what we're talking about. How often do you do this? Well, in context, what are we talking about? We are talking about the Passover meal. That is going back to the time that Jesus said it. It was in the Passover meal. So as often as you do it, well, how often do they do it? Every year. So now the Passover now is no longer a celebration of them fleeing Egypt. It is now a celebration of the work that Jesus did, if you're a Messianic Jew. But is he talking about the only time we do this is during Passover? I'm going to show you today that it's not. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. So you could take it saying that as often as we do it would be once a year. But why not just say, every year I want you to do this, every Passover? It's almost like it implies that you should be doing this more. Now, there's a result of not doing this correctly. Verse 27 Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. Let a man examine himself, and so let him eat the bread and drink the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord, that we may not be condemned by the world. So, what part of it is not being discerned that is causing some to be sick, some to be weak, and some to be dead? It wasn't the blood. You're not discerning his body. This is my body, which is broken for you. Jesus made clear distinctions in the body and the blood. Very clear distinctions. Paul is referencing those distinctions, and then he says the reason that there are some that are weak, sick, and dead is because we don't discern the body of the Lord. Which is my whole point, is that we have got to look at this from a scriptural standpoint. So now as we bring these things together, we begin to see, okay... That Jesus was the manna that fell. That that was a representation of his body. And that through that body we see living water flows. Remember the striking of the rock. That's all in 1 Corinthians 10. It talks about that. We'll come back to that later. So we have to see these things for what it is. That there are clear distinctions being brought between the body and the blood. You see, there are three parts to your body. You have your body, your soul, and your spirit. Called the unity, the tri-unity. So we are body, and we are spirit, and we have a soul. What is a soul? The mind, will, and emotion. Do you realize that uh, when doctors today are talking about somebody who has anxiety or, or, or depression or anything like that, they try to medicate it because they say, well, they have a chemical imbalance. Now, they can't explain it because they have to be naturalists, and if you're a naturalist, the only thing you can say, well, there must be something chemically wrong with your brain that makes you think that way. But yet the Bible says that we are a soul, which is our mind, will, and emotions. And your mind, your will, and your emotions have to be redeemed. Renew your mind with the Word of God. We see that time and time again. In other words, you need to start thinking right. I am who you say I am. Where do we get the information about who He says we are? If it didn't come from the Word, then it's irrelevant. If I get up here and I preach you this most exciting sermon, and I didn't use verses at all, if I didn't go to Scripture in it in any way, what good does it do you? You might feel better for a time, but if we're not learning to go through and, eat, and, and, and feed ourselves on the Word, then what difference does it make? Because you're going to come in next week the same way you were before. You're going to be tired, you're going to be weak, you're going to be, you're going to be sick. So this body, soul, spirit idea, we know that the blood of the Lamb is what gave us new life. We know, because we've looked at this, that the body being broken is what gives our physical body life. Because now, because of the work of Jesus, the Spirit of Christ dwells in us, giving life to our mortal body. But there's one more time that Jesus shed blood. You remember where it was? It was in Gethsemane. You see, He was under such anguish that He's saying, Lord, not my will, but Your will be done. And it talks about sweat, blood dropping down from him because of the anguish there's actually a name for this that happens it's almost like now I am I'm this is just an opinion of mine but it's almost like he's taking care of us in entirety he felt the stress of what was about to be done to him blood being shed setting us free you see we've got to understand the work that Jesus did and his body is so important to that so here's a question for you why do we call it communion you ever asked that question because there's many different beliefs on this. I'm going to throw some big words out to there. I might explain them a little more in depth here in later weeks. But there's, there's the idea of transubstantiation. There's the idea of consubstantiation. And then there's the Bible. Okay? The idea of transubstantiation is the idea that this bread and that wine literally becomes the body and blood of Jesus. And thus, when they have a, Catholics do this, when they have a mass, they are re-sacrificing Jesus to re-atone for the sins that were given. And they believe that this truly is the body of Christ, and that truly is the blood of Christ. That is why the priest is, is handling it. So you don't get to go up there and just take stuff, and you don't pass the elements around. You are administered to it by a priest. Why is that? Well, in the Old Testament, how did you come to God? It was always administered through a priest. Well, the last time I checked my Bible, he says that you are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and in Revelation 1, talks about how we are that priesthood. Thus, we can do the same things that they did. But in believing this, that it is literally the blood and literally the body of Christ, that they believe that if the, the juice, the wine, was spilled on the ground, they would get down on the ground and suck it out, thus not to waste the blood of Christ. Does Jesus need to be sacrificed again? Did the rock that gave the living water need to be struck